Okay, let's get started. It's 20 to 8. <laughs> I have an amazing message. Oh, thank you, God, for this word. So last week, I started this part, part one, part two message, talking about miracles and blessings. Now, in this world that we live in, oh, we love miracles. Miracles are for today. God still does miracles today, and we love miracles. Miracles are events that supersede or suspend natural law. So if it can be done in the natural, or if it can, be, if it can take place in the natural, it's not a miracle. It can still be an amazing blessing, but it's not a miracle. My first healing was miraculous 19 years ago because I was healed without any natural medicine. I was healed without anything except my mighty great big God healing my body of stage four cancer. I was given a death sentence, six to nine months to live. I was following the doctor's protocol, but the way my path was ordained was I didn't have medical treatment. I was supernaturally healed, miraculously healed. I had stage four cancer. It was all through my lymphatic system. And then I didn't. It was gone. That was a miraculous healing. It defies natural law. The doctors literally told me that can't happen. Cancer doesn't just go away. Well, it does when Jesus, the miracle worker, heals it. In, in 1 Peter 2.24, in the Passion Translation, I just learned this within this past year. This is how it's translated. By, no, my instant healing flowed from his wounding. My instant healing flowed, past tense, E-D, from his wounding. And the truth is, that is all of your words. Because when you receive Jesus as your Savior, his instant healing is yours in the spiritual realm. It's already yours. In my first miraculous healing, that healing that was in my spirit, because I received Jesus after I was diagnosed, but Jesus was in me, that healing manifested in my body, and it was a miraculous healing. A miracle is, is dependent upon having a crisis. You're not going to have a miracle in there unless there's a crisis first. So in this world that we live in, many of us love miracles, and we want, we've heard this said, we want to live from miracle to miracle to miracle. But if we want to live from miracle to miracle, that means we have to live from crisis to crisis. That's not God's best. He wants us to live from glory to glory, from blessing to blessing, not from crisis to crisis. So the thesis, the gist of this message is that blessings are even better than miracles. So that's what we talked about last week. A blessing is God's best. A blessing is not a thing. That's the word we use a lot, but that's not really the blessing. My precious new granddaughter, I love her so much. My grandchildren are so precious to me. But they are not actually the blessing. They're a manifestation of the blessing of God. 
I have been blessed by God and so have you. In fact, the first scripture that we have up here says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished on us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because he sees us wrapped up in Christ. That's why we celebrate him with all our hearts. So every spiritual blessing has already been lavished upon us. And the same blessings that I walk in are yours because every spiritual blessing is yours. Now the definition of a blessing is the spoken favor of God upon you. So spoken favor of God can come in many ways. The spoken favor for me came from Jenny when she said, from God, from the Holy Spirit, she spoke to me and said, a child shall lead them. That's a blessing from God. That's a spoken favor of God. And I, but we have to receive it. We have to believe it in order for it to be released. So the blessing of God can be a word spoken by the Holy Spirit through a person. It can be a word spoken from God directly to your heart. But the most common and the most important way that God's blessings are spoken to us is through his word. And the word is full of blessings, full of the word of God. However, if this word is not in your heart, if it hasn't been breathed life into your heart, then it's not going to be manifested because a blessing is the spoken favor of God upon your life. Many times when you're reading the word, God speaks it to your heart. It's called a rhema word. Many times we take his word, just like I did at the beginning, and we speak it out loud when I said, 1 Peter 2.24, our instant healing flowed from his wounding. That is a spoken blessing of the favor of God upon us. So however that word is spoken over you, it must be received. It must be believed in order for it to be manifested in your life. And then, once that blessing is received, once that blessing is when you take it, when it's in your heart, when it's gone from your head, from your intellect, into your heart, there's no enemy, no demon that can stop that blessing. It is set in motion. There is one way that it can be stopped. It's not the devil. It's not the demonic realm we have the potential to reverse the blessing through unbelief, through fear, and through agreeing with the devil instead of with God. Let me give you an example from Scripture. I gave it last week, but I want to just review this. I'm just going to just paraphrase the stories of the miracle of the manna and the blessing of the promised land. Manna. God rained down food from heaven. That was a miracle. That doesn't happen every day. God doesn't do that. That defies nature. That is the definition of a miracle. But it only supplied just what the people needed. It met a need. It, it was there when there was a crisis. Same thing when, when God um, allowed water to come out of the rock. 
It met a need. There was a crisis and God met the need, but it was only enough, just enough. We know the story. The manna wouldn't even last till the next day. It got stinky and wormy and everything, except on the sixth day when they gathered enough for the Sabbath. And then it lasted for two days. But it was just enough to meet their need. But the interesting thing was God had a really, really good plan, a better plan. He had redeemed them from slavery to go through that wilderness and enter the promised land. That was the plan. And it wasn't supposed to take 40 years. The reason it took 40 years is because they took his um, direction into their own hands. He said, go, God said, go and possess the land. They made a decision to send some people ahead to check it out first before they took action and did what God said to possess the land. So they sent the 12 spies, and we know the story. Two, only two, saw the promised land and the blessing and said, yes, we take it. Yes, we receive it. Yes, God, we believe you at your word. This is a land of milk and honey. The fruit was so abundant. The crops were so abundant. But there were 10 more people, 10 more spies. And those 10 spies, they also saw the the land of milk and honey. They also saw the blessing. The blessing of Abraham that had taken all of those hundreds of years before God set it in motion. They saw it. But they saw the giants. And they put their eyes on the problem. And they agreed with the problem instead of agreeing with the blessing. Remember, I said the only way to stop a blessing once it's set into motion is to agree with the devil, to get into fear, and to agree with the enemy instead of God. God had this amazing plan. But they put their eyes on the giants. And they came back and they told everybody about it. And all the people agreed with the ten spies. They were in fear. They said, oh, no, this is too big. This is too hard. We can't do this. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. Joshua and Caleb were the only two men in that whole generation, the only two people to receive the the blessing, to enter the promised land, to possess the promise, to possess the land. They were the only two. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and not one received it except Joshua and Caleb, they all died. That whole generation died in the wilderness. Now their children and their children's children possessed the land after them, but that whole generation died out. So that is the difference in, in, in as, and an example from the Bible. That is a, a difference between the miracle and the blessing. The blessing was so much better. Then they moved into the land of Canaan. This amazing place. And God blessed them all the way. All the way. I love to read the, the accounts. I believe it's Exodus, I think, is where, is where it talks about going from kingdom to kingdom, from, from um, um, uh, the, the areas, the different areas, from one area to another. And every time God went with them, God went before them and enabled them to completely conquer There was not even a battle. I mean, they just walked right in and took over the land because God had provided it. That's the blessing. He's provided us the blessing, but we have a part in attaining it. So what I'm going to share with you today, this teaching, I am sharing six keys to walking into that promised land, six keys to possessing the land, 
to living in the blessing. God has already given us every spiritual blessing, and he wants us to, uh, to live in it. So let's take a look at this. Number one, take a stand. Take a stand. One of the first things we need to do to see the supernatural power of God's blessing operate in your life is to take a stand and to declare from your heart, I refuse to live this way any longer, whatever that thing is, whatever that giant is, whatever that problem is. Refuse. We need to take a stand and not come into agreement with it, not accommodate it, not let it become who we are or our identity. Even if it's been part of your life, it doesn't matter how long, it doesn't matter how big God's plan is for you to walk in the blessing. My second healing was a blessing. It wasn't miraculous, but it was a blessing because God put his super on my natural all the way through. He put his super on everything about that healing journey. And I walked through it with his blessing, with his blessing on where I went for, for medical help, on the doctor that he connected with me and the other medical people that he connected with me, with the um, blessing upon the medicine, with his blessing of protection upon me so I didn't have any residual junk afterwards. Blessing upon my body to receive that medicine and to be healed quickly, easily. Blessing on me for that pain that was just so bad to be just taken away. Gone, 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 gone. Blessing on me for my bones to heal and to be restored. He blessed me. He put his super on my natural. But I had to make a decision to take a stand. Say, I'm not buying this. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter how many bones that cancer is in. It doesn't matter how many lymph nodes. It doesn't matter what stage. It doesn't matter what the doctor's report is. What matters is what God says. Now, think about this. If you were in your house and a poisonous snake, a rattlesnake, moseyed on in and took up residence in your living room, would you welcome that snake? Would you accommodate it, make a little bed for it, say, come on in, just stay a while? No. You would do everything and anything you could do to kill that snake, to get it the heck out of your house right away, immediately, especially if you have kids at your house. You would do anything to get that thing out. But we take sickness like a snake, like a poisonous snake, and we let it take up residence in our lives. We need to take a stand. And we need to say, I refuse to let this thing stay in my life. That's number one. We're talking about receiving the blessing. The first thing we have to do is not let the curse be welcomed. Number two, be continually humble, submitted, and surrendered. These all go hand in hand. James 4, verses 6 through 7. But he continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. Grace, another word for grace, is favor. The unmerited favor of God. A blessing is the spoken favor of God over your life. So God continues to pour. He continues to 
to water the word. He continues to bring people around you to encourage you. He continues to stir in your heart that, that yearning, that wooing for him and for his goodness. He continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you're proud, but continually pours out grace when you're humble. So then, surrender to God. Stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will flee in agony. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. First of all, it says, um, talks about humility. It says, God continually pours out grace when you're humble. Think about yourself in your journey right now as I read these statements to you. Think about your walk. Whatever it is, it might be for you, it might be for a loved one, it might be people you're ministering to, but think of this. Because this is where the blessing, the grace is poured out. Humility is a constant recognition of our need for and dependence on God. Are you declaring your dependence on God? Humility is being God-dependent instead of self-dependent. It's trusting on the Lord instead of your own strength and ability. So is your trust in God? Is your dependence on him? Or are you self-dependent? I've been both. Probably all of us have gotten into self-dependence, or maybe you didn't know better before. And so you tried to, to do things on your own strength and ability. Humility is acknowledging that apart from God, we can do nothing. But through our trust and dependence on him, that's when we can do all things. And listen to this. This is important. You aren't humbling yourself when you try to figure everything out on your own. That's pride. Pride at its root is simply depending on yourself. And the scripture says that God resists you when you're proud. I believe that when we are in that place of taking over and, and doing our own thing, with our own strength, our own ability, our own research, our own uh, to-do list in um, getting healed, that God can't help us because we're doing it. He needs us to surrender, to release it to him so that he can take over. Pride is self-dependence. And this is a big thing for a lot of us. We need to just let go and let God take care of us. Humility is also agreeing with God. Humility is when we agree with God about what he has already provided and about who we are in him, not our identity in the problem, not our identity in the pain or the disease, but who we are in him and because of him. That's humility. Humility is submitting yourself to God. In the scripture, verse 7, in many translations, it says, so then submit to God. Submission is yielding to him. Think of when you're driving. You're on an expressway. You're coming, you're merging onto an expressway. Usually you just merge. But once in a while, there'll be a yield sign. And if there's a yield sign, you have to look and give right of way to the oncoming traffic. You don't have right away. They do. And for your sake, for your safety, you need to look and yield before you enter that, that 
that road. God wants us to yield to him, to give him first place, to give him precedence, to be sensitive to him. That's yieldedness. And it means to surrender. We notice in this scripture, the word submit was translated surrender. Surrender is so important. The first step that we take in this, in this receiving the blessings of God is letting go of control and letting God take over, giving him lordship over the situation. And that means that you're literally trusting God to take care of you, saying, God, I'm not going to do this. I can't do it. I let you take care of me. I think sometimes it's almost easier when you have a death sentence because there's nothing you can do about it. That's where I was twice. And when I was in that position, it was, it was complete surrender, complete relinquishing control because I was an in-control person. I always wanted to fix everything, do everything I could do on my own ability. But in those situations, I completely let God be my God. There was no hope in the natural. My only hope was in God. God wants us to be like that, not just initially, but continuously. Because surrender is a, a continuous action every day. I remember at the beginning of my first journey, the only thing I surrendered to God was my health. And I did. With all my heart, I surrendered my health to him. I needed him. I knew I needed him. I was seeking him. I was, I was uh, praying and, and declaring his word over my life and, you know, just asking and seeking and knocking and asking and seeking and knocking, constantly asking and seeking and knocking in regards to healing. So I was giving him lordship over that area. And he healed me. And I received that miraculous healing. And he captivated my heart. I saw his faithfulness. I saw his love for me. And I was undone. I was 43 years old at that time, and not once had I ever seen a miracle. Not once had I ever heard of a healing. Never in my life. And I was healed of stage 4 cancer. And I remember that summer after I was healed, in my prayer time, thinking, this is real. <laughs> I don't want to just let God be God in this area of my life. I realized that he wanted to be God in every area of my life. And so one area at a time, I started realizing that I had been in control, that I was in control of everything, my house, my marriage, my, my career, my, you know, parenting, everything. And it was like, God wanted me to let him do it all. So one thing at a time, I just started releasing to him and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I give you this. I give you lordship over this. I release it to you. I relinquish control to you. And he was, he's always been there. He's faithful in every area. So this thing called surrender is so important in every facet of your life. Now I want to go back to that scripture again. The last verse says, so then, surrender to God, stand up to the devil, and resist him, and he will flee in agony. I love to picture that. <laughs> okay, 
I used to believe, I changed my belief. I used to believe this was a three-part scripture. Number one, submit to God. Number one, pray, pray, pray. Believe, believe, believe. Number one, let God be God. Number one, trust, 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 trust. And then I get into my battle gear and fight the enemy, fight the enemy and punch back and cast him down and break off everything and do this and do that. And then he'd flee. But I realized that's not the truth. The truth is that when we are humble, when we surrender, when we let God take over, that the enemy is resisted and the enemy does flee. We don't have to try to do, we don't have to be superstars because guess what? Jesus did it. Jesus defeated the enemy. And the, the most powerful tool you have in spiritual warfare is relationship with God, knowing the love of God, seeking, asking, and knocking, and keeping your heart open and submitted to God. And then he does the rest. I am not a deliverance girl. If I need to be, and if there's something that comes up, that like it did with that, that one situation. Yes, I will take a stand because I have authority. But in my own walk, in my own life, that's not what I do during my prayer time. In my prayer time, I am fellowshipping with God. In my prayer time, I am worshiping him, honoring him. In my prayer time, I'm meditating on his word. In my prayer time, I'm praising and worshiping. I'm not fighting the devil. I am surrendering to God. And he's doing the rest. But this is what often happens. Most of us aren't submitting ourselves to God. We aren't resisting the devil. We're actually cooperating with him. Many of us, instead of submitting to God and resisting the devil, instead we're submitting to the devil and resisting God. In the same way, if we're submitting to the enemy, if we're yielding to the enemy, if, we're, if, if we are focused on the problem and the pain and all of that, agreeing with the do stupid devil, agreeing with the pain, buying it all, unknowingly, we're resisting God. We're not actively resisting and we're not saying, God, I don't believe you anymore. I'm kicking you out of my life. No, we're not doing that. But when we're surrendering, when we're submitting to the devil, we are resisting God. I don't want to resist my God. Surrendering to God is one of the most powerful things spiritually that you can do. Listen to this word. This is one of the scriptures that I've been meditating on in, during my healing journey. It's Proverbs 19, 23. God says this to me. It's, my, it's a spoken favor. This is a blessing. I've received it. Remember, in order for these to be powerful, we need to believe them and receive them. So I'm just going to speak it. You can put your own name in the blank. Write it down. Take this for yourself. This is what God says to me. He says, Cindy, when you live a life of abandoned love, surrendered before the awe of God, here's what you'll experience. Abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. I have spent probably not hours, but probably an hour on that one scripture. 
Why? Because God is just stirring it in me. Remember when I said last week that the blessing of God is, that's what he came to give us, an abundant life. Jesus came to give us a life and a life of abundance. The blessings of God, that's what it means to live an abundant life in every area. Divine healing, divine health, divine life. And that's what this says. When you surrender to God, that's what God will give you. Abundant life continual protection, and complete satisfaction. So that's number two. It's a big one. Number three, walking in the blessing of God requires your cooperation. You access it through faith. The blessing is already yours. It's already been lavished upon you. But you gain access. It's as if there is... Um, in your heart, there's a door. In your spirit, there's a door. And every blessing is in there. But for that door to be opened and gain access to those blessings in there, it takes faith. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Romans 5, verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. That's blessings. Where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We access the undeserved privilege because of our faith. That's how we open the door to those blessings to be manifested in our life. It's through believing. Believing that God has already done his part. It's not believing in you being good enough. It's not believing in you having some um, supernatural special gift of faith. No, it's believing that what he did is done. What he did is more than enough. That's 90% of the, the, the battle, if you want to call it a battle. Not really a battle. He did the hard part. Listen to this word. This is another scripture I've been meditating on in, during my journey. First Thessalonians 2.13. The word of God is effectually at work in you who believe, exercising its inherent supernatural power in those of faith. That word, effectual, it's the Greek word energes, E-N-E-R-G-E-S. It means it's activated. The word of God is activated. It come, it's a living word, but it's not living unless you believe it. It doesn't have power, dunamis power, unless you believe it. That's when the inherent power in here, that's when the supernatural power comes into manifestation, when you believe it. And here's the cool thing. You don't have to understand it to believe it. It's a, it's a choice. I choose to believe the word. It doesn't matter if I don't understand. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if my body doesn't match it. It doesn't matter if the doctor's report says no. It doesn't matter if I'm a healing minister and I'm diagnosed with stage four cancer. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God says it and I believe it. Here's another beautiful word. Listen to this one. James 5.15 from the Message Bible. Believing prayer will heal you. And Jesus will set you free. Believing prayer, not just prayer, 
but believing prayer. Because we can all pray prayers without believing them. We need to believe them. God is so good. Look at what he did with Mikey. Look at what he did with Rose's son. Look at what he did with my friend Teresa. He's so good. Believing prayer might take 15 years. It doesn't matter. It's as miraculous, as wonderful as if it had happened 15 years ago. Maybe even more so, right? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And I have to read one more version of James 5.15. I don't even know what Bible version it comes out of. It's a kid's Bible. My friend is a, a teacher. And this past year, she chose to have a pod of kids. We've, taught, we've heard about that on the news where teachers take like five or six neighbor kids or whatever and teach them. And that's what she did. She taught five little elementary kids for the whole school year. And every week she did a scripture. And this was the first one they did. And this is their version. When a believing person prays, great things happen. I love it. I love it. So a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing and on Monday, and Pastor Fran was so overwhelmed with something that I spoke that the Holy Spirit just brought it up in her, and it was like explosive. And it was so important, I feel like I need to say it again. Because it has to do with this truth that believing prayer, that's where the power is. That the, the blessing is already there, but in order for it to have that inherent power, we need to have faith and we need to believe it. So I was sharing part of my story where I said that um, during my journey, I knew I was confident in the finished work for me. Not just the finished work of Jesus, but the finished work of Jesus for me. And that healing was mine. The manifestation of a complete good report was mine. It didn't matter the degree of the cancer. It didn't matter where it was. What mattered is that God said it, and I knew that it was mine. I knew it to such an extent that I was rejoicing like crazy. If you could have seen me in my mother-in-law's house, we, weren't, we didn't have our own home done yet. In my mother-in-law's house, Kent was working at the new house. My mother-in-law was in Florida. I was there all by myself. And I was like a crazy lady. <laughs> I was dancing and singing and praising all over the place because I knew that it was mine. Now, the doctor didn't say that it was done. I was in the middle of cancer treatment. I was going once a month for chemo and immunotherapy. I had a lot of pain in my back. I had stuff going on in my body. I didn't have a lot of side effects because God protected me, but I had some. I had a weekend every month where I pretty much had to just stay home and rest and, you know, didn't, didn't feel well and that kind of stuff. But none of that mattered. Even when I was making trips to Chicago to go to the healing center, and I knew that I was going to have two days of chemo and, radi uh, chemo and immunotherapy, I was geeked, not for that, but I was geeked because I knew what God was doing. I knew that this journey that I was on was was, was, first of all, I knew the end result and that God was doing so much in the midst. I was literally filled with some uh, uh, super, supernatural um, anticipation of good. But what Fran saw was how important. She said, the aha, the important thing for you, for you, for everyone here, the important thing 
is to have that confidence that the work, the finished work, is yours and that the manifestation is yours. And to see yourself completely well, to see yourself whole, and to know that it's yours and to rejoice in it. And it doesn't matter what your body says. It doesn't matter what your doctor says. And that comes through trusting God. It comes through the, the um, meditating on his word and knowing his love and relationship with him. And it's not a, a mind over matter thing. It's a relationship with God thing. Number four, God's blessings are voice activated. So start speaking the blessing and condemn the curse. Start speaking the blessing and condemn the curse. Proverbs 18, 21 says, words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. We've talked a lot about words in here. Every word we speak has power. There are no non-working words. Every word is a seed that ministers either life or death. We've talked a lot about words, and I don't have time to teach about words right now. But words are important. Many times, other people speak words that you don't want spoken over you. Um, that's another whole teaching. I can't go there. Because sometimes we give them, we give them to you all to speak those words with Facebook posts and stuff like that. You didn't see me making Facebook posts during my journey, about my journey. I just didn't do it. Because I don't want people talking about me. People talk. But here's my point. Not only do we need to speak words of life and God's word and God's blessing and the spoken favor of God over us, that's very important. We also need to condemn those other words. Listen to this scripture, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. That means when those negative words are spoken over you, you might not even know they're being spoken. But you can condemn any negative words that may have been spoken over you. You can say, no, I break off those words. I refuse those words. I'm not in agreement with them. And right now, God, I am declaring that those words are condemned to die in Jesus' name. And the next line says, huh, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. The, 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 the authority to condemn the judgments that have been spoken against you, that's our heritage. Heritage means something that comes or belongs to you by reason of birth. That's our heritage. It's part of our authority that we have as a believer. That we can speak death to those negative words and they have to die and wither out and have no more power over you. And then the last line of the scripture says, and their righteousness, that's my righteousness and your righteousness, is from me says the Lord. And when I looked this scripture up, I, I decided to use the New King James because I, I felt it was the best, a best translation. But the only word that I liked out of every other translation better was the word vindication. Because in every other translation, the Amplified, the New Living, 
the passion. It said, and their vindication is from me. Vindication. I looked it up. This is what it means. To clear from accusation or imputation. That means imputed unto you. If the doctor spoke uh, a stage four cancer diagnosis over me, um, words have power. And that could be imputed to me. But when I condemn that word, when I condemn that diagnosis, and I say null and void in this body, then the vindication is for God. It won't be imputed to me when I condemn the word. So this is what I, I think I put this on your sheet. I'm going to read it from mine. I'm not sure if it's on yours or not. But the moment you hear something contrary to what you're believing God for, you need to stop right then and there and say, in the name of Jesus, that is not so. I condemn it. I'm not going to agree with that. I'm going to agree with you, God. So that's number four. We're talking about ways to receive the blessing, to walk in the blessing. And words is a big way. Here's number five. Defy sickness and pain and all the other curses. Emotional instability, depression, discouragement, fear, and any other curse. Because you are not cursed. You're blessed. So all that junk in your life, those are curses. Defy them. That means to stand up, take a stand, be bold, and say no to it. Stop accepting the snake in your living room. Defy those curses. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs crucified on a tree or a cross. We've been redeemed from the curse. Let me go back real quick to um, Deuteronomy 28 that talks about the curses and the blessings. In Deuteronomy 28, this is the curses of the law. This is the law of Moses. And the first four verses are blessings for obedience. Blessings are always good. Sickness isn't a blessing. Sickness is under the part that talks about curses. People here, don't ask me why, sometimes say, Sickness is a blessing. No, no, no. That's a lie of the enemy. That's the enemy twisting truth in a really weird way because sickness is never a blessing. The blessings are always good. The blessings of Deuteronomy include things like health, prosperity, joy, peace, abundance, and deliverance from enemies or deliverance from bad stuff. And then there's a whole bunch of verses, Deuteronomy 28, starting with verse 15, going all the way to verse 68. And it talks about the curses that are a result of disobedience. And here are a few of the curses. Consumption, fever, inflammation, boils, um, tumors, the scab, the itch, madness, blindness, confusion of heart, great and prolonged plagues, Serious and prolonged sicknesses. Those are all examples of the curse. They're all bad. Now, in the Old Covenant, that's where Deuteronomy was, the law. In the Old Covenant, blessings were conditional upon a person's um, performance. But, capital B-U-T, but, 
in the new covenant, everything is conditional upon Jesus's performance, not yours. It, it's all dependent on Jesus's performance and whether you believe him or not. If you receive the Lord, then you receive everything he has to offer you. You get the blessing, not because you've done everything right, but because Jesus has done everything right. And that's something we just need to keep feeding our heart. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about our works. It's about his. And we no longer live under the old covenant. We've been redeemed from the curse. So we need to defy the curse. Like I said earlier, many people receive sickness as a blessing. Or they receive sickness because they've been told that a God gives it to teach you something. That is lie from the pit of hell. That's a blasphemy. God is not bad. God is good. He doesn't give bad things. In Isaiah 5, verse 20, Scripture says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who replace darkness with light and light with darkness, who replace bitter with sweet and sweet with bitter. When we are thinking that sickness is good or a blessing in any way, that's what we're doing. And God says, woe to you. Woe to you. Call bad, bad. Call sickness, bad. Call the, the blessings of God, good. But the world is doing the opposite. We see it all the time. They're calling sin good. They're calling good sin. We're seeing it in the world. But we're not of the world. We may live in the world, but we're not of the world. So we need to take a step and defy it, to defy those lies. We need to see sickness like God sees it. I have a, um, a chart. I did a teaching several years ago called something to the effect that we need to um, see sickness as God sees it. I don't remember the exact title, but it was to see things the way God sees it instead of the way the world sees it. And this chart was in that teaching, and I thought it was worth sharing. So there's two columns, sickness and then healing and health. And what this chart shows us on the left side is how God sees sickness. And on the right side, how he desires us to walk and live in healing and health. So the first line, sickness is a curse, but Jesus redeemed us from the curse. Sickness is the oppression of the enemy, the oppression of the devil. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Sickness is evil, but God's will is to do good. Sickness kills, but Jesus came to give life. Sickness steals, but God gives in abundance. He came to give us a life and a life of abundance. Sickness is not a good or a perfect gift, but God only gives good and perfect gifts. That's scripture. Sickness is not given to us by God to teach or perfect us or discipline us. Now, this is big. The word is given to us to teach us and to perfect us and to strengthen us, not sickness. That's a big one. That's a lie that so many people believe. That is an absolute lie. God does not give sickness. He does want to teach us. He does want to correct us. He does want to strengthen us. And he does it through his word. And the last one, sickness is not given as a discipline because you're not worthy. You are worthy. 
not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Healing is a gift, not based on your works, but on Jesus' works. So the bottom line is we need to see sickness the way that God sees it and defy it. We need to hate what God hates and love what God loves. So defy the curse. And the last, the last key that I want to share with you tonight, number six, fellowship with God and delight in his word. Meditate on his word day and night, and you will be blessed. I'm going to read two final scriptures, Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 14 from the Message Bible. I read this last week, but it's so powerful in our walk of blessing. So I'm going to read it again. God says to you, he says, I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. That's blessing, guys. He has such a good plan. Such a blessed life. I was walking and talking to God this morning about his amazing plan for each of my kids and my grandkids. I know he has it because he says so. That is his desire, my daddy's desire for me, for my children, for my grandchildren. But then comes verse 12 through 14. This is the way that we open the door for that blessing in verse 11 that we all love, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is the way to open the door so that what's already yours in the, in the spirit is opened and manifested in your life. Call on me. He says, when you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. I looked up that, that phrase in the Noah's um, Webster Dictionary, the 1828 Dictionary, and this is what it said. The eternal purpose of God by which events are foreordained. That's God's eternal purpose. To give us this amazing future, this amazing life, this blessed life where he's lavished all of these blessings on us as a love gift. That's his foreordained plan. But for us to walk in it, we need to call on him, have relationship with him, fellowship with him. Talk to him, pray. pray. Praying should be 90% fellowship. Maybe a little bit of, of telling God, you know, you know, praying, asking him for your specific needs. Praising and worshiping, just fellowship, loving him. That whole casting the devil thing out, it just happens. When you're in this kind of a situation with God, this kind of a relationship, fellowship with God. In Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll be successful. Then you'll live that blessed life. Then you'll live that future that God has planned for you. 
letting the word come into your heart, meditating on it day and night, letting God speak to you through his love letter to you. That's another key to letting that blessing be just opened up and, and blossom in your life. So, Father, I pray over this word. I pray over each key that I have shared tonight to receive the blessing, to live in the blessing, which is better than the miracle, to live from glory to glory, to live in the, the blessings that you've already lavished on us, to see them um, manifesting in every area of our life, in our bodies, in our families, in our marriages, in our careers, in our businesses, in every area of our life. Father, my prayer is that you will highlight the areas that we need to see individually, that you will speak to us and show us the specific key or or different keys, whatever, God, that we individually need to know. And I pray, Father, I don't pray. I declare that your grace is sufficient, that your grace carries us, leads us, teaches us, strengthens us, gives us courage to carry out these keys in our own life. Father, I thank you for the blessings you've already shown us tonight. Three miraculous, amazing testimonies of healing and salvation. And Father, we fully expect to see an acceleration of your blessings in the lives right here of the people that are hearing this word. I believe it, God. And I stand uh, just getting excited to see them come to pass. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. So take this home, pray over it. I've already prayed, but ask God, God, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Sometimes there's a do part in there. In that last scripture, it says, observe to do, meditate and do what he's showing you in his word. So if he gives you a direction, take a step. Okay. Oh, Daddy, you're so good. You're so, so good.